Hey everybody, it's Ned Buskirk here. Welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast. I don't know if you can hear, but I fixed my chair. I'm actually rocking back and forth right now, but it no longer squeaks thanks to WD-40. This episode is <laughs> this episode is brought to you by, no, they didn't, they're not supporting us. So um, forget about that. But I did use it on the chair. And you know, why do I bring that up? already right out the gates here. It's um, a way to let you know that I care. So good to be here in your ear talking with you again. So appreciate these moments to drop in and do these things that really clarify for me what matters more than anything. And this conversation on this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast, your creatively conscious mortality podcast, if you're joining us for the first time, that's what this is. If you haven't filled that category already in your podcast catalog, this podcast is for you. Put it on the shelf under that label. This episode's really unique in that it holds a part of my personal experience, both a part of my experience that was a lacking and then a discovery. Being 26 years old and having my mother die and not really having her lead my sister and I into the death and dying conversation and preparing for that at all, really, she didn't. She didn't talk about it. But once, once when I moved home when she was sick, I remember sitting on her little bed that moved too easily. I literally, if I would sit on it when she was laying there, I feel like it would move across the room. It was my little bed my little twin bed that I'd kind of grown up in, sort of slept in probably too long <laughs> um, until I was way too big for it, but it fit her, especially at the end of her life. And I remember when I moved home to live with her for a year, a year that helped her get a lot better, at least for uh, a little while. But she was so sick when I first moved home, we didn't know what was gonna happen. And I remember her asking me if she was gonna die and I think I told her not yet, which was true. And she did get better. But when it came time for her to actually die, my sister and I didn't really know what was happening. I think we counted how she was getting sick uh, among all the times she got sick with cancer and got treatment that made her sick and all the time she lost her hair and lost weight and had to go to the hospital over and over again for whatever care she needed because of all those things. And so we kind of thought, I think, that she was going to get better. And so when her dying suddenly was realized, honestly, it was not until that last day of her life. And I know for sure if someone like hospice nurse Julie had walked into the room, she would have said, this is what's needed right now. And we just didn't get that chance. We didn't have that moment. We didn't have that person. And I, I, have worked through the guilt and shame about that in the years following her death. And, and really in truth, I, I can say my, I wish my mom had been that person 
I wish she had been the person to know these things and prepare and have these conversations, but she wasn't. And, and it is what it is. But then jump to all these years later, uh, my mom died in 2003 and my mother-in-law died in 2012. And my father-in-law and her, I, I, I guess from here, I'll credit him. But the point is they had hospice involved. And I hope if you get anything from this episode, maybe it'll be some crying, maybe it'll be some laughter, maybe it'll be your knowing hospice nurse Julie a little more um, and and her wisdom. But I think specifically what I hope from this episode is that you familiarize yourself or consider familiarizing yourself a little more with hospice now. And I mean, before it's too late. The amount of times I hear hospice assisting, helping, holding. I remember getting visited by social workers when my mother-in-law was dying. And, and really then I thought, I need to do this. I need to figure out how to be involved in this. And I didn't go back to school. I didn't want to become a social worker or a nurse, but I started volunteering here in the San Francisco Bay Area at an organization then called Hospice by the Bay. And I've volunteered ever since. And that was back in 2012, 2013 that I started. And it was the first version of me being a part of something I really believe we all need to know about. And maybe we all eventually might need, like most of us, could use this kind of support at the end of our life. And having just really very recently lost a, a dear friend's mother, and again, having this reminder of how important it was to have people holding the dying process at the end. And so I, I cannot say it enough. I hope that you take that away today. Already, maybe you have. Like, look it up. Put it in your back pocket. Fold it into having conversations about dying. Having conversations with your loved ones about their dying and your dying. That's a big part of what I think hospice nurse Julie gives us in, in this episode is the reminder that hospice is just a part of the conversation, but we need to be having the conversation already to make room for it. Julie McFadden has been a nurse for 15 years. She's an experienced ICU nurse and now hospice palliative care nurse and has been passionate about normalizing death through education to the masses using social media. Her TikTok has 1.1 million followers and you can find her on all social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube as Hospice Nurse Julie. And of course, we'll link you up to all that stuff in the show notes. But for now, welcome, you fragile, fleeting, mortal being, again, to another episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast, or if this is your first one, welcome. I hope you find what you need here, like what you were looking for, and maybe you're surprised by something you get here that you didn't know you need. In this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with hospice nurse, Julie. Yeah, so truly, like the way you're feeling today, how like, which I can't, I guess I can't say how you're feeling, but how you appear to feel, yeah. right, would be like raw and like open and kind of, you know, just like, wow, I don't know how you can do this every day. Um, that's actually not, I feel, I don't feel like that most of the time. <clears throat> I said, I very, very rarely do I feel like probably how you're feeling today, um, which I guess yeah. I, I don't know for sure, but. Like, um, like today when you were, the way I feel tired is not really because of work. I actually didn't work today. I, I did a lot of social media stuff oh, okay. today and, um, oh, yeah. 
which I still work, like I get my money from actually being a nurse, not through social mm-hmm. media stuff. I think people, it's a really big misconception, but, but I still yeah. spend a lot of time doing it. <laughs> it's just not for money. Yeah, um, right. So today I did a lot of that today and I just feel I, per- this is a whole personal level thing, but like I feel, and I'm, I don't care if people know this, but I've been dealing with um, headaches, like migraine headaches mm. consistently for like days upon days, months upon months, mm. a whole c- cyclical thing. So I'm like Constantly. exhausted oh, okay. because of that, mm. because I'm like not mm. feeling, I feel f- totally fine right now, but in general, I haven't yeah. been. So it just makes me a little like, Ugh. So, Yeah, I mean, so then extra thanks for still clicking the zoom. Link oh yeah. No, no, it's okay. And then I'm not saying that at all for like, just like sympathy either. It's just more like that is why, because I'm saying all of this to, to bring it around to in general work, my, going to be a hospice nurse um, is not really exhausting to me. Like mm. it feels usually pretty energizing and I feel like not just usually not totally exhausted. Like it feels like it kind of gives me energy and I really mm-hmm. like it. Um, I also yeah. have made it that way for myself. I work per diem. So I get a lot of breaks mm-hmm. and I work in California at a unionized hospital. And uh, so we're unionized as a nurse, as a nursing group, mm-hmm. and which gives us a lot of strength and, and, pull to like what we will and will not do. Right. So I'm not, there's no forced Mm -hmm. overtime. There's just no force anything. So you get a really good work-life balance, uh, especially being a nurse in California uh, for the most part. And I'm sure not all nurses. So because of that, I don't get really burnt out. Um, Amazing. I do have moments where it's like, I feel like I just need to go home, turn off my lights, go in my room, watch the office and like eat a Jersey Mike sub I don't know why that's like the thing, but like, I want to like eat, (laughs) I want to eat like a Italian hoagie and like eat chips, (laughs) drink Topo Chico. Uh, It's my favorite sparkling water and like, just watch the office because I'm like emotionally exhausted. And, but that is few and far between, few and far between. Um, Do you... Okay, great. On the knowing exactly what you would do with your time when you come home, the listeners all know by now that you know I've got my like action movie and my pint of ice cream yes. um, go tos. Um, <laughs> and and recently in an episode two, it was like I need that. You know, like I need a I need to get to a place where there's like sensory uh, is the, all the senses are kind of getting taken care of. Like I could just be like I'm eating, yes. I'm stuffing my face, I'm drinking, and there's something in front of me that's just absorbing. Yes. <laughs> all my attention yes. and uh, that it doesn't feel like a numb out. It feels like in contrast, it's just needed sometimes. Yes. So I just am glad to hear you uh, share your version of that. Yes. Um, well, let me ask you this. I want to dig in a little more. I understand that because you've set up your life and your schedule and work in a way that is spacious enough to maybe keep feeling energetic and, or at least like not raw and wasted after every time you work. I do also wonder if there's, any, I don't know, this is interesting because I'm talking about nurses that work in, you know, the 16 hour shifts or whatever it is, three days in a row in a closed contained uh, cancer ward. And my experience of hospice, having volunteered since 2000 and really seven, uh, after my 
just a quick other background. My mom died, no hospice, didn't even know it existed. No one came and told us. My sister and I just were like, we'll just get through this again and my mom will be okay. And then suddenly it was like, we need to call an ambulance because she can't even go to the bathroom on her own. And then she died within a few hours of the hospital. Then jumped to my mother-in-law and the hospice presence transformed that experience for, for us. And right after I came, came home from that, I looked into look, you know, do it, not, not becoming a nurse or social worker, but I found volunteering was like, that's the way for me to do it. But what I'm wondering for you is I was going to be like, well, do you like numb out when you're in the midst of work? But I'm also thinking like that context is a pretty, I don't know. I want to hear how you could describe it in contrast to what I just described. Maybe the hospital context could be, you know, yeah, like something enlivening or spirited or moving, you know, powerfully emotional. I don't know. What would you, what would be your way of describing that? Well, you're, you're really spot on. You're really spot on and like helping me. So I was an ICU nurse for many years before I was a hospice nurse, um, probably like nine right. years. And I would say there is tons of compassion fatigue there and compassion fatigue in all of nursing with hospice as well. So like there is a, there is an element of like compartmentalizing and being so used to seeing and being in intense situations that like you just, it's just not there. <laughs> if that makes sense, especially in the ICU yeah. Yeah, and the totally. ICU is like, at least for me, I should just only speak for myself, but for me in the ICU, there is like a, an element of you just don't fully embrace what's really happening. Like you just yeah. don't. I mean, you couldn't. And yeah. at least I couldn't. And I, and, and I was completely burned out in that situation. And, uh, I hated, I hated my job. I hated nursing. Uh, I thought I made the wrong choice. I thought I wasn't meant to be a nurse. Like something was wrong with me. I just didn't like it. Like it really felt like I had to like hurry up and care for someone. <laughs> like, mm. like the person didn't yeah. feel human. It was like very weird. Cause like there were so, it was so task oriented, but then it was also like you were dealing with life and death. It was so task oriented that it, there there couldn't be like mm. emotions. At least for me, it was like I couldn't do it. It was, I mean, I did it for nine years. <laughs> nine years too yeah. long, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, you did do it. Yeah, yeah. That 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 was the experience the whole way through. Yeah, the first, well, the first two years, years are like yeah. a blackout, and you're just like, ah. I mean, I kind of threw myself right. into it. I went from like being a nursing student to working at Johns Hopkins University, you know, like number one hospital in the country, and their ICUs mm -hmm. like. It was an amazing experience, right? But it was just an overload. Yeah. So the first two years were like <laughs> blackout because you're just trying to learn right. and like you don't know what you're doing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I literally ate, dr ate, ate, slept, and drank nursing or whatever the saying mm -hmm. is. I can remember I had like dreams of nursing for like six months every single night because oh it was gosh. just like, yeah, that's so intense. Yeah. But um, then I think during that time, like when well, as I was an ICU nurse, I definitely numbed out in other ways. So Drugs and alcohol are a whole story, which oh, that's a whole nother thing. I'm sober. I've been sober for like almost seven years now, but, um, and wow. I never was, I never did anything wrong at the job. Right. But like, it was a clear, like I went home yeah. and drank <laughs> because it yeah. felt like I had to, um, which is a whole nother well, thing. Franco Sosesky in the episode with him, he, he described like what, you know, like we're all talking about, like go out and do your yoga and do a meditation class. And the reality is in that work, 
your the time you have is enough to go home and like pour a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't have. I'm going to go on a retreat tonight. You know, it's oh, like you got to. Yeah. There's not work life balance. Squeeze in whatever it is and having wine or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I am, and, I, and I'm sure some people could do that normally, <laughs> like on a regular sure, on a sure. regular level. I feel like I did not. Yeah. I also was younger. It's a whole other thing, right? Like it was just like sure. Um, there was no coping skills. Like, okay, I'm going to end up wanting to go back to that, Julie. Yeah, so we totally can we can. talk about it? Real yeah, quickly? yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so what you know, like what happened seven years ago? You know, like when did you say? with this level of commitment, I don't, I can't have that. And by the way, (laughs) I'm asking a little bit from like, I really shouldn't have drank as much as I did this weekend. I can't even go back. Like part of why I think today feels the way it did is because I drank uh, two or three nights, you know, over the last time, you know, four days. Oh yeah. And just feeling like I can't keep coming back into these contexts when I do that to my body and my spirit. Oh, you know? yes. But what happened for you that made you say, I, I got to change this up? You know, um, I think alcoholism is really misunderstood. And I'm not by any means saying everyone's an alcoholic, but I know in my mind, I had a version of what I thought an alcoholic was. And that's not what my life looked like, right? So I thought it was like my grandpa who like lost the farm and like didn't, you know, drank day and night and died of alcoholism, yeah. lost his job, lost everything. And I, but at the, you know, seven, so I got sober, yeah, almost seven years ago and nothing really happened. Right. I was, I was already Mm -hmm. a hospice nurse. Um, it was just like, I was, you were doing hospice. I was already a hospice nurse. I was just really, Mm -hmm. I was 33. And at the time I had drank heavily from like 13 to 33 or, you know, like it was kind of like my lifestyle. Right. Um, and I was just sick of it. I was sick of being hungover. You know, it was easier to be hungover as a hospice nurse, to, if I'm honest, than I was as an ICU yeah. nurse. You know, ICU nurse, you got to be like on yeah, that shit. Totally. And exactly, hospice right. nursing, you have to be on it. But like, I could show up to a house, not, I would not, by no, by no means drunk, right? But like hungover yeah, right. for sure. Hungover for yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. And hurting yeah, little, hurting a little yeah. bit. And you could I could it. get through yeah. it because. Mm-hmm. It was not as high stress, you know, it was more emotional, mm-hmm. but wasn't as high stress. So, or, uh, okay, how about this? Or at least I thought I could. Okay. <laughs> and then, it, and then after a while <laughs> it was yeah, like, say, what am I doing? Yeah, <laughs> I can't no do way. this anymore. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I just thought I would stop. And of course I've said that many times, but this time I actually did it. I stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about 11 months later, after stopping, so I fully stopped drinking for 11 months fully, no drinking at all. Um, I was miserable. I was really miserable Mm -hmm. and nothing had gotten Mm -hmm. better. I still had no way to cope with things. You know, I still was like, what am I? It wasn't just about nursing, but about life in general. It was like, Mm -hmm. why did I quit drinking? I thought I I thought I would feel better, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't. Um, So that's when I decided to get help 11 months into my sobriety and went to a 12 step program and started learning about alcoholism and learning how it can look so many different ways. And, and I really got help for the emotional side of sobriety and my emotional well being and, um, learning how to live my life, you know, clean and sober, not just from alcohol and drugs, but even in an emotional way. Um, and that has made all the difference too in my career and my life and how I can, be a better service to other people because I try to live this like daily 12 step thing that you kind of learn in the 12 steps, Mm -hmm. like just on a daily basis. 
And that has, has helped me in so many ways. It's helped me be sober and it's helped me cope. It's helped me have, when I have hard days, you know, what I do with that. Um, and I actually don't have that many hard days because I live this wow. continued life of, yeah, uh, le- like sobriety on I'm many just levels. Like bringing, bringing this back, I'm just like really feeling a couple things with a little Al-Anon I've done. I feel like what you came to in 11 months was like, you're still, uh, and forgive me if this isn't, if this is unfair terminology, yeah. but at least when, what I learned in Al-Anon is that you're still the alcoholic 11 months. Like you could not be drinking, mm-hmm. but there's still all the stuff and that you saw that or yes. came, came, came clear on that it, moment. It, um, it was like the only way I would have been able to do that because in my mind, I, I was not an alcoholic. Like there was no way I could be an alcoholic in my mind. You know, it was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get DUIs. I never went to work drunk. Mm-hmm. I never, you know, all the things I never, da, da, da. And, but after 11 months of not drinking alcohol and still being, I would say, I would say I, I felt worse off <laughs> than when I was drinking. It was like my medicine right. was gone. It was like, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> Cause you're facing the stuff yes. that you were covering up all that time. You know, it's like, that's just where it is. I mean, I I've talked about my like sort of lame, not a severe version of this, but this inclination, like to have treats, uh, at the end of the day and watch something doing it too much is a version of like, I can't be with how uncomfortable it is to just be kind of quiet and read a book at the end of the day and really feel like the grief I have from whatever, yes. you know, and having to face that in the, those spaces and times. So that's just really incredible. At some point you were like, I'm not going to do the ICU anymore. And then you've looked into hospice? Like how did that transition? Yeah, it was, it was kind of a swift transition. Like, I mean, I did different types of ICU and kind of, I tried a bunch of things. I tried a bunch of hats because I was like, I can't keep doing this ICU thing. So I tried different mm-hmm. things. I tried travel nursing. I tried like pre-op, post-op, you know, six months here, six months there, education, like different things popping in and out. Uh, and as a nurse, it's amazing. You can do that. I love the fact that I could do that. Yeah. And then I, then I kind of just like, um, I just took my shot and applied for this hospice nurse uh, job, even though it said it, you needed, you needed experience. I didn't have any, but um, they interviewed me and I was, I was really passionate about trying something new and feeling like this is what it should be. And to basically like give me a chance and they did. And then I was full time there as a Kate's manager, probably for, two or three years. And that was even, that burnt me out too. Just full-time nursing in general will burn you out. Like any, if any nurses are listening to this, like you're not crazy for feeling like you can't do this. It's really hard. (laughs) It's really hard to do. And and I, and I started doing the per diem stuff way before I started doing this uh, social media thing. So it's not like I'm per diem because I do social media stuff. No, I did the per diem thing because I was like, I need to find a way to make this work for me. I, I can't yeah. do it full time. And yeah. luckily I, I got this per diem job at a really large hospital that always needs help. So they always need me. So I can kind of like work 40 hours a week if I want to, or work 24 or 32 or whatever they, whatever I feel like. So did you, when you made the leap to hospice, like what specifically led that? Did your curiosity around that kind of work, did some other nurse say, you should try this out? My first couple of years in hospice, I was amazed by what I was learning. And the, the, the sure. greatest thing was just like seeing how little we had to do really to mm-hmm. allow someone to die a peaceful mm-hmm. death. And really I found the more we intervened, 
the less peaceful it usually was. So it's mm-hmm. like just the, just the ability the body had to die and seeing how, gosh, it was just, it's just so beautiful and such a better way to go in my opinion. And talking to families is a, is a little easier, I think, because they, most people know what hospice is. So they're not coming in blind, you know, like they kind of yeah. know there's been That's something right. That's what and I was maybe about. it hasn't right. been spoken to them well, you know, but they at least mm-hmm. know that something's going on. And I, and I feel yeah. like just over the years, I, I like doing it now. Not only mm-hmm. it doesn't scare me, I actually like doing it. I like helping mm-hmm. families understand. I like trying to be able to explain to families who are still like, no, we don't want hospice, you know? And yeah. I'm not at any, I always say, I'm not in any way trying to get you <laughs> to do hospice. I, I truly want yeah. you to do what you want to do, but I want sure. you to understand like life and death. And I want you, and most of the time it's like, unfortunately we know with this disease, you are going to die. It, mm-hmm. You're going to die. So mm-hmm. now that we know that, I'm not saying that's not awful, but now that we know that, what would you like to do? How would you like to do that? Do you want to be home? Do you want to in and trying to describe the two different options? Because I think a lot of times if you're not in the healthcare system, you don't know the options and you think it's going to be in one way and it's really not, you know, or so I just try to give them, um, you know, I, I mean, I also try to meet them where they're at if they really don't. And there are people that I definitely meet that I'm like, I actually don't think you should do. I, I'll say, I don't think you should do it. Like if there's certain yeah. things that you need to get done first for your own comfort and your own well being or whatever, and you can't do those things on hospice, then don't do hospice. Wait, 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 wait. What example would that be? Like, yeah, like a really good example give me, give is me a um, specific example. Yeah. So someone who is, I love people who come on to hospice early because I think people wait too long. But sometimes if you have something like some kind of metastatic cancer to the liver, right? So it's like your liver, your cancer started somewhere else and now it's in your liver. And now you're developing Mm -hmm. issues because the cancer is in your liver. And a lot of those issues are fluid building up in your abdomen and it's called ascites. And you have this like big fluid buildup, right? And you go get this thing, you go into the hospital, you get a procedure called paracentesis. And they basically poke a hole in your stomach and they drain all this fluid out. And it makes you feel so much better. But the fluid's going to come back. So it's always going to come back, right? So if I see someone who has had a couple paracentesis already, but they just had one done, so they're feeling better. And now they're thinking about coming on hospice, but they don't have a, a drain placed yet. But so they're knowing that they're going to come on hospice and get this paracentesis maybe a three weeks from now. It's going to be a huge pain in the butt to be on hospice and go get that procedure done. Got it. So I would say to them, actually, you know what I think you should do? This is a little life hack. You need to go to your doctor. You need to tell them that you want a drain placed so you can come on hospice and then we can drain your paracentesis at home. Wow. Yeah. And... Um, and then I, I mean, this, by the way, <laughs> Julie, this is like lived it with my mom. Have. Didn't know, no one was telling, no one was talking to us about <sighs> it. I, I, you know, at 20, whatever, of course, you know, I mean, and this is like two, you know, this is two thousands, early two thousands, but just feeling the, I, I knew when I was going to talk to you tonight, I'd have this experience of like, God, if I'd only known yeah. you, uh, but, but. 
to navigate that. Also then the gratitude, yeah, that someone can hear it here on the show and, and that people get to hear it following you. Because yes. what, what I feel a bit now is what I didn't expect with you is the empowerment. There's this giving people the information they need to make the right decision accented by the fact that if you're dying, like there's not a lot that you have to do to make that work well. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, obviously it's not that simple across the board, but that's what you said. It's like, we, you know, we don't, you know, have a ton that we need to do. There are specific, this is where I get, this is where I get, like, I can get so fired up, like in a good way where like, there are specific diseases that like, you should just have someone guiding you through it because this is also what I say. So I say, you need to not come on hospice yet. You need to go to your doctor. You need to tell them that you need a, I'll tell them everything. You need a Plurex before you come on hospice. And then I even go, and if they tell you no, don't take no for an answer. <laughs> because that's a drain. Because yes, this that's a drain. That's a drain yeah. that mm-hmm. goes in your ass. And sometimes for some freaking reason. I don't know why. I don't know if it's like, they don't understand that, like how hospice works or what the doctor and I get where they're coming from too, right? They'll get pushback. No, you don't mm-hmm. need that drain yet. Drains are bad. They can be invasive. They can cause infection. I get it. I get that side too. But, and sure. then the, fa- and then the family will go, I talked to the doctor. They said we didn't need it yet. Oh, and it's just because <sighs> I don't know what it is. Like I want to, I want to call that doctor and go, what are you doing? Like, well, what do you think? I think it's like, I well. By okay, the way, so we're, at five, we're at like seven to. I know the top we're gonna keep hour. we're gonna keep talking because are this we? is good. Yes. <laughs> okay. Good. I mean, it would be fine if you're like, you know what? I don't care what everybody else does. I'm done in five minutes. Um, but I love that you also are like, we're in it. Let's do it. Cool. Well, because now I'm like, I want everyone to hear this because yeah. I know if I called good. that doctor. The doctor and I and the and doctor the, and, and they the doctor said those things to me and then I would be like you know they're dying and you know they're going to need this on hospice yeah. and they're not going to be able to keep continue getting paracentesis when they're on hospice unless they have this drain and the doctor yeah, would so for sure one hundred percent say you're right okay yeah I didn't think about it like that like there wouldn't be a doctor who would say no because <laughs> because they know oh, that's I'm right really wild because they yeah, know, they know right. you're right and then with the patient they're kind of like I'm in charge you need to keep coming in or maybe maybe they didn't this, realize like, or maybe they don't because I'm a hospice nurse and I'll be like no on hospice right. you can't da, 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 da. and they'll be like oh okay you know like yeah I, and you if you could I, show them yes yeah. if the doctor actually continued to say no I'd be like this uh, I, I highly doubt they would really, unless, unless they knew yeah. something I didn't know, which is maybe they're not end of life. Maybe they're, you right. know, who knows. Right. And then in that case, it's like, okay, well then we don't, maybe don't place the drain, but. Well, so when is this situation occurring? Is someone um, considering hospice and you might go and do like a preliminary conversation do you do those a lot is that or are you going to the hospital and someone's gonna maybe that does happen too yeah oh sorry um so no i mean normally i'm painting like scenarios that don't always happen right like it's usually pretty cut and dry but a lot of times there are um like advanced cancers where there's just things that like heavier procedures you need to do to kind of manage and control symptoms that you can't really do on hospice. So if they're not super end of life yet, right. For quality of life, 
I would be like, mm-hmm. ah, I don't know if you should. I would personally be like, I don't know if you should do it yet because X, Y, and Z, right? Hospice is still a business. Um, I love my company because I think we're just big enough that like, not that they don't care, but like they're not trying to get business. I've been in other hospice yeah. companies where it feels like a business, where they want you yeah. to like close the deal. Never am I ever going to no. do that, even well, if they want me to. Yeah, That's right. disgusting. Well, and no, yeah, totally. um, if anything, I just really believe that this, like if I see a patient and this, they're not really into it and they don't really seem like they're dying imminently, I'm kind of mm-hmm. like, hey, it's your choice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But also, yeah. I want them to understand what it truly means because sometimes there's just a misconception of what hospice really is. Like hospice truly, I'm not saying this to be, to like make it easier or to be coy or to be cute when I say like hospice is meant to live, like so you can live. That's, that's I mean yeah. that. It's yeah. because I, anyone I who's it. been through cancer treatments knows you're going back and forth every other day for radiation, for chemo, for procedures, because of symptoms, you're not like living a life, you know, hospice is meant to stop those things that are probably making you sick, especially if it's, especially if it's not doing much to control your symptoms, to, to help you live your life until you die. Not to like live this like last week of your life on uh, at home. I mean, that's what we're doing mostly, but like what we're trying to do is kind of change that. So people are living the last months of their life. I hope you're enjoying the show. Thanks for listening. I want to take a moment of your time to acknowledge a specific demographic of our audience, and that is you, our Patreon supporters. That's right. If you didn't know, we have a Patreon account, and we really couldn't do this thing the way we're doing it without your support. And I say that, that's always the caveat, because the truth is we will keep doing it. The listening alone, our numbers, the growth, the connections we're making around the world to community through this access point to our nonprofit, we can't stop. It's the point of no return. I don't know when that was. Maybe the point of no return was the first event I ever did where I was like, oh yeah, I need to keep doing this. But let's just keep it to the podcast right now. Like we will keep doing it. It matters, obviously. And we're so grateful for all of you out there listening. Thank you. And for those of you that have said, hey, hey, what's up through the ratings and reviews, clicking the stars and sharing some words, please, you guys, it's amazing of you to take the time to do that. If you haven't yet, quick plug, do so now. Go into your app, click a star, leave a few words. Let us know how the show's going for you and that it matters. But I digress patreon.com forward slash yg2d it's just this simple thank you all who are already supporters it means so much your help making this podcast be in the world and you know what's coming it's built into the acknowledgement for those other people you want to be a part of that special community you want to get perks and whatnot coming into the new year a promise 
that Patreon is the place to come in and get more of what we offer in a special way if you're one of the people giving us as little as $1 a month. That's it. I will do all the math for you. That equates to $12 a month. If you live in this city, that is half of a beer somewhere. (laughs) Uh, Wherever you live though, $12 a month. Just think about like not buying those two Starbucks coffees or not buying those uh, new um, (laughs) pamphlet of, uh, (laughs) what is it? Toothpicks, a pamphlet of toothpicks. Do toothpicks come in pamphlets? It doesn't matter. If there were $12, imagine just not buying that pamphlet of toothpicks and putting your $12 to this show and helping us get this thing done in the world. We love your support. We need your support. Please go into the show notes, click the link, patreon.com forward slash YG2D and smile because you matter. Thanks for being alive. Well, I want to take a moment to just acknowledge a couple things that are important in this mid-show like break, if you call it, or like resting place. I want to share with you some poetry from a dear friend of mine. They've been on the podcast before, Olivia Pepper or Elfie Pepper, a teacher of mine, a friend I made during the pandemic, someone who I've never met in person, but who I love and count among my dear friends now. So good to include their poetry about their own mom in the episode here. And simply I'll say this, I'm so honored and grateful to share this episode in a way that connects to my mom's story and her death and the fact that she died the day after Thanksgiving, really like it's infused here, right? You know, I'm feeling all that. And my relationship to this holiday is changed. And that's because of teachers like Elfie Pepper and their connection to the indigenous experience in this country. And I'll just say this, any holiday, any tradition, most anything isn't more important than care and connection and learning from community, finding gratitude and love to honor what grief we have. And there is grief beyond my white male experience that I can learn from. And Elfie Pepper is one of the people in my life, one of the teachers who gives me that. And so I'm so glad to include a moment here with Elfie Pepper's words about her own mom on this day, especially. This poem is called Great Production. Standing in the kitchen at 1 a.m., I'm crying because without meaning to, I have washed my mother's singular and precious handwriting off the lid of a mason jar. Great Production, a strange thick syrup which she boiled and tended on a summer's day a few years back with her box fan humming in the window of the bungalow she was so proud to buy on her own. I imagine her up late as she sometimes stays during harvest season, wiping her brow with the back of her sun-browned hand, her eyebrows a sad poem, her enthusiastic and tireless domestic labor, some packed with some God whose name 
I have never been given. Each year in the Emerald Valley is hotter than the year before. Each year the tree pollen, ever increasing as the groves make desperate floral bids to survive, buffs the sidewalks, gilds the rivers, clouds the skies, and chokes my mother's airways, burns her tourmaline eyes, so much so that she must flee to the ocean side for weeks until the pollen count declines. Each year, the fires are burning faster and deeper, closing in on her home and leaving less behind. Each year, my mother, in her wiry elegance, goes out harvesting abandoned crop yields, plucking peaches with wrists injured in her service job years ago, collecting baskets of neighbors' unwanted plums and apples, inheriting lightly bruised crates of heirloom tomatoes, brought to her by a bearded and tawny farmer who is tall and handsome and a father of laughing babies, and whose hardworking and now-grown body my own mother delivered unto this world 30 years ago, amidst a snowstorm. She takes all this and transforms it, filling her pantry with rescued food. Now I stand here at my own sink, strangely paralyzed by grief, staring at the blank tin moon that is the top of a canning jar. I can remember my parents flying an airplane into my waiting mouth, deliveries of steamed broccoli, mashed red-skinned potatoes, our immense poverty mostly patched by my mother's skillful hands and her skill at cooking, at putting things up, and at putting up with things. There is nothing written, at least nothing I have found, that tells you how to protect your aging parents from climate collapse. Nothing that tells you how to convince them when it is time to leave the grapevines they have tended for 30 years. And it is just as well my mother and her mysterious house god will be there in the Emerald Valley, even when it is a jade bowl filled with fire. She will still be there, preserving fruits that others abandon and pressing her hands lovingly into the dying earth. Oh, yeah. The hospice nurse Julie thing. That is wild. This is wild. <laughs> Talk about like, to me, I feel like, oh, gosh, for <laughs> yeah. lack of a better word, but like, it really feels like divine. Like, mm. it feels like I didn't do anything. So mm. I didn't mean like I worked for years to do that. I meant like, it was just years of this, like me learning stuff. And then, yeah. okay post COVID, not post COVID, but like mid COVID 2000, like 2021. Um, a couple of friends of mine, their parents were dying. I feel like I helped them through that in a sense of like, just talk to them about like the things I knew, the things I knew. And they were mm -hmm. both like very 
like, oh my God, I can't believe you know this. Like, yeah. I didn't realize yeah. I knew stuff that people didn't know. Like, they were very like, mm-hmm. why doesn't everyone know this? Why isn't this told to me? Why didn't someone tell me this? Why? And I just kind of like, I don't know why. I don't know. Um, like, and I was, I'm like, I'm just telling you what I tell everybody. I don't know. They're like, people need to know this. This needs to be told. You need to tell people this. Yeah. And I still was like, I do every day at my job. And they're like, no, but like everybody, everyone should know this. I never knew this. Um, so, so by was, that way, first of all, by that point, you weren't really, you weren't posting stuff. You weren't doing really any social media. Or no, anything. no social media. Never even a thought. Okay. Never even a thought. I never yeah. thought about it. I was like, I was yeah. really into like sobriety, to be honest. I was, I was mostly in, uh-huh. not posting about sobriety, but like that was kind of like my main, like how, how I'm of service. You know, I help other people get sober and things like that. Um, so my job, I love my job, but it was definitely like, I loved it because I loved it when I was there. And when I was home, I turned it off. There was like no, there was like no, um, there was a huge separation. Um, and then I was helping my friends and then they had this reaction where I was like, wow, I didn't think I was saying anything too fascinating. Me by the way, too. I'm just like, God, if I'd only got to talk to you, like your friends got to talk to you back when my mom, you know, like it's huge. Oh, thank you. So anyway, thank that's you. incredible that you got to be that for them. So they're like, everyone needs to know. Everyone needs to know this. This is crazy. Um, and I was kind of like shocked that they thought it was so crazy. So I was going to do a podcast, right? That my friend kept being like, you got to do this. You got to do this. He even, he even bought me a microphone. He was like, you have to do this. This is the, this is the mic you never <laughs> Yes, yeah, the mic in. I never used. So... <laughs> And then I was like going, I'm like, fine. Yeah, I guess I'll do it. So him and I actually recorded something. And then I realized this is really hard. I don't know how to edit anything. I don't even know how to set up this microphone thing. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to put it on the back burner. I go visit my family. I have two nieces who are like 12, uh, 11 and 12, and they're on TikTok doing dances. So the whole time I'm home, they're like oh, dance, yeah. dance, 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 teaching me dances. <laughs> and I'm like the older aunt teasing them, like uh, kind of being playing it up. Like, this is so stupid. Like, oh, what is this stuff yeah. for kids? Da, 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 right. And, um, but I got on TikTok so I could like watch the videos that they were making and they were showing me stuff, whatever. And, then I started watching TikToks and there were like people my age, like educating and explaining things and like different space, you know, just stuff I was interested in. I was like, this is crazy. This yeah. is amazing. I love this app. I'm going to make TikToks. And I That's made, how it went. you're yep, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make TikToks. And I made four TikToks. Just wait a second, like to dance or, you know, like when you said, I'm going to make TikToks, were you like, I'm going to do a funny <laughs> dance or were you no, immediately no, 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 like, no. I'm going to do a hospice I'm going to do hospice nurse Julie TikTok. You do it right away. Right away. And I was like, I'm going to take these little facts because I knew I had like 10 different things I knew for sure I wanted to tell people. And that's what the 10 things I tell everybody all the time, all these different facts about death and dying. Tell us a few. I know we can go back to those early posts, but like, what were those things? So I knew I wanted to talk about um, no IV hydration at the end of life and why that's so important because people are always blown away by it. I knew I wanted to talk about deathbed visioning because that happens so often and people think I'm always like woo-woo-wooing and it's not woo-woo. It's like just something that happens. So many things we could talk about. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Deathbed visioning. I wanted to talk about the rally because that happens all the time. I wanted to talk about... um, Wait, what was the third one? The rally. The like the surge of energy that can happen at the end of life. Oh yeah, suddenly. Yep. Um, And then what actively dying looks like. 
because no one ever knows. And they always think it looks, they always think their loved one's suffering. Oh, and that morphine's okay. So there's like things that those are the main things that I knew like right away. I made, you should see my videos. They're so awful. Like I literally just like, I'm going to go back to the there. I'm like in a dark room. I'm like, Hey guys, hospice nurse, Julie. Like I had no idea what I was doing. And I just, by my fourth, I think my fourth video went viral and they just didn't stop. They just didn't stop. And I feel like that's That's what I mean by it feels divine because I feel like I didn't even try. I did not try. Mm -hmm. So your nieces are like, what the... (laughs) I know my nieces are so funny. My 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 niece Courtney, who's really into it, um, she was like, "Yeah, you're on, you're like you're popular on TikTok, but you're popular for adults." <laughs> yeah, let's be clear. Yeah, let's be. You're popular clear. for adults. I was yeah. like, true. Uh, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean. Okay, so are you know getting you here and 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 obviously I haven't seen your videos, you know, you know just getting that that's part of it, you know, like your personality and how you communicate and your knowledge and and uh, realness, that's what I I get from you. Um but I want to acknowledge similarly to what I described about like making the for me it was like making that first event space when my mom, you know, my mother-in-law died, mm-hmm. really knowing like here's what I want to do here. And and getting the value of that with no expectations about 1.1 million followers, you know, it's like you just knew that. And the power for me in this that connects to this empowerment piece that I feel like you offer this like, well, let me just tell you all the things I want you to make whatever choice you want to make. But here's everything you really need to know. And feeling like this social media posting from your your work and your knowledge about this reality is was hungry, you know? I mean, we're talking about a time where certainly death, you know, over the last 10 years, just like big increase in people wanting to talk about it, making room to talk about it. But that piece of like, just not knowing mm-hmm. enough about these things and hospice being this like, everybody needs to know and feeling like what your friends felt, this like absorption of you being a person who could do that well enough that it just would, blow up like it did, you know, like it met a need mm. that that's huge that, that, and, and I, and I'm, this is like the fourth time I want to say it, but like, I wanted that for my mom, mm-hmm. you know, and I just didn't have anyone telling me about it and it's okay because it's done. And, and what I learned out of that and what I saw and know now, even talking to you, like my mother-in-law's death, seeing it happen in a way that I undeniably going forth knew this is, everyone needs to know, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and certainly doing the hospice volunteering and be so included and in, even as a volunteer, like an element oh, in that. Totally. That's a needed one, yes. you know? So I'm just really feeling the power of like how obviously you're great enough that people would want to keep watching and sharing, but the need, you know, too, is just so deep um, in our, in this time, I'd say, and especially in our culture, mm-hmm. I'm sure it, uh, by now you're international with, with your, your, your social media posts, but in this country, you know, people needing to know like badly about yeah. this option. You know, it felt very like, um, yeah, it was like, cause so often like I had 
dinner parties or like just on every day, like, Oh, what do you do? You know? And you're like, Oh, I'm a hospice nurse. You know, the first reactions are like, Oh, <laughs> you know, or like, or like, Oh, <laughs> you know, or like they don't really want to go there. Right. So, no. so yeah, moving on. Yeah. Which is fine. That's <laughs> uh, okay. But Whatever. like, so I was like, that's either one or two things is going to, going to happen. Like either no one's going to watch these. Well, cause one, it's like TikTok and I didn't really know what I was doing. So I really had, I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I mean <laughs> that you'll see, um, but that. it was like, either I people are going to be like disgusted or here uh-huh. for it, you know? And yeah. It was like, it just sort of, like you said, it met, it, it meets a need. It meets a need. And you know, mm-hmm. Ned, like I feel for you so hard because I hear that all the time and I don't want to act like I'm the only one doing this, right? There are a lot of people well, of out there not, doing stuff like sure, this. And what I hear a lot of is I wish, I wish I could have even, you know, like you said, like early 2000s, like hospice was around, but it wasn't, yep. but social media wasn't as big as it was. And, and, and. Um, you know, it's just not talked about. It's just not talked about. And I hear that a lot. People saying, I wish you were around when so-and-so died or so-and-so died. Yeah. Well, this is, this is an important, this is going to be hard to answer. And I understand because all the contexts are different, but you said, I just wish people would do hospice sooner. And I'm kind of like, well, what, for someone listening now, What's the thing to keep in mind about that? You know, like, how do you know when to I know. reach out for that option when no one else is telling you? Um, and also when you're faced with, like with my mom, I mean, you know, to be honest, partly we ended up in that situation because she didn't fucking do any planning or figure any of that stuff out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've done my own processing around all that and, and, you know, I don't blame her for that being that way, but like she didn't talk about dying. Mm-hmm. And I moved home, you know, and lived with her for a year when it was like definitely a possibility. But even then, she wasn't bringing it up. So I'm like, well, I hear you. Like, bring hospice in. Like, to use that resource sooner. But then, how do you? How does someone take your your like invitation to do that? Like, where do they place that? How do they get to that moment? Like, what is it? I don't know. Do you, do you see what I'm I know exactly at? what you're saying. Yep. 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 I mean, there's like so many ways to answer this. I'm going to try to do it in a way that, um, makes sense, but I think, okay. So in general, like let's, let's address the whole, like she didn't talk about it. Right. Or like, um, and not just your mom, but, but most people, yeah, people to be honest, they, most they people are mom. just like, yep. not yet. Right. Like even my own parents, mm-hmm. like I shove it down their throats. <laughs> I'm a hospice nurse, Julie. Like, <laughs> like they're going to talk <laughs> about like, it. We, are, I mean? health is fine. we don't need hospice right now. You know, <laughs> you know, know what? we need to sign you up. <laughs> I know. I'm like, listen. Um, <laughs> so like, in, even if it's not hospice, right. But it's also preparing right? Preparing. What, what do you want? Do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? Um, do you want a funeral? Do you want a service? Do you want like, um, what are your passwords for your phone? Like the, like, um, think what's your banking, like banking stuff. All of that should be already talked about, which again Mm -hmm. is not ever done. And I'm not like criticizing. It's just something we don't think about. You don't have to be, 90 years old to do that, you know, and things can change as you get older, you know, and as, as your life changes, all the things, but like that stuff should be in order. Someone should be someone. And I, and I, um, 
like myself, uh, I'm speaking to myself too. Like I um, have beneficiaries. My, I have a whole list of what, what my passwords are so people can get into things because that's just something to save your family some grief that they're already, they're already going to be experiencing grief. That's this right. is going to help them. This is going to help yeah, them. Speaking now we can't, how much it would have helped for my mom to do that. Yes, yes. I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. Now also you can't force someone to do anything, right? So like no. at the end of the day, acceptance is the <laughs> answer to all of our problems <laughs> and we can't always yeah. make someone do stuff. Right. But like you're in right. general, if you're listening to this and you haven't done this yet, get those things in order. Right. Uh, even if you don't think you're old enough, you are. You're always old enough. Um, mm. Okay, so in the hospice thing, this is a little tricky too because, like I said, hospice is a business. So some hospices will try to get you to do it, right? They'll kind of paint this picture, and then you're like, wait a minute, what? Uh, so yeah. when I tell you the next thing I'm about to tell you, keep that in mind. But I always like to say, when in doubt, check it out just because you remember that. Like I like to make a little jingle so people can't, won't forget. <laughs> when in doubt, check it out. When in doubt, check yeah. it out. But yeah. keep in mind that, that I, I hate saying that because there are some hospice companies, believe it or not. And none of them would, none of them would admit to this or say this. Right. But like it is a business. So they're going to be like, Oh yeah, we can get you this. We can offer you this. Blah, 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 blah. Sure. They're going to, they're probably going to paint this picture of what, how good it is. And it is amazing. I don't want to act like it's is, not. Someone, you go check it out. They're going to try it. There's going to be a certain context where a company is going to try to rope you in when you kind say of. like, tell me more. Probably. So yeah, probably, okay. probably, yeah. probably. Mm-hmm. But again, they're not evil. Like, like I don't want to paint this picture of like them being evil. Sure. It's just like, no, I just want you to know all of your options, right? Um, it probably isn't too soon for you to do it, but it is too soon if you're not totally ready, right? So um, when in doubt, check it out. Um, also, you can always ask your doctors, right? The doctors you're working with for whatever disease that may be terminal for you, right? If you are willing and open to talk to your doctor about the real, real you know, like what's really happening? What's really going on? Can we talk about hospice? That's going to give them the immediate, ah, even though it shouldn't, yeah. it will. And they'll openly right. talk to you about it. If you openly say to a doctor, hey, I want you to openly talk to me about what my prognosis is, what you would do if you had my disease, when I would go to hospice, what are the next steps? I want you to be honest. Tell me. They will be honest. Usually. I mean, I can't imagine them wanting to lie to you, right? But I think sometimes they need the open. And you can always come off hospice. Let's say you decide to, um, when in doubt, check it out, and you check it out, and you sign up. And then three weeks later, you're like, wait a minute, what? Or like, or you don't want to do it anymore, or you don't, you can always come off. You're not stuck. This is something that's supposed to help you. Yeah. You're not signing your life away. No, you're not. You can Um, always come off. You can always yeah. switch hospices too if you don't like yes. the hospice you're on. So there's options. Thank you. Um, I could talk to you for so long. I know, Julie, you're the but, best. Um, maybe we'll just have another conversation another time to talk about bed, uh, bed visions. Um, I did want to just cover a couple things before we go. Um, this is kind of funny. You know, when I talk about the podcast, I say to people, you know, I know there's like 4 billion other people started a podcast during the pandemic. The difference in our podcast is, you know, 
I cry every episode. <laughs> Do um, you? I was wondering. Yeah, I love that you much, cry. I love that much. you try. Oh my gosh, it's so amazing. So open. And like, and for sure, I think there's a way, like you said, the rawness. It's not, I don't feel leveled all the time. I don't mm-hmm. feel like I got like, like today felt like a little a little harder than than usual. Mm-hmm. I will say that most of my work and part of me being in it is like vul- being vulnerable and being raw. You mm-hmm. know, like I'm I'm gonna like go in those rooms and I'm gonna cry with some of these people that I literally have just met. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens. It happened today. Um, but so the what I'm getting to is an, another thing I. Th- think and hope is part of what the podcast offers that maybe is different from other podcasts is the guest maybe is going to cry. And not that I, my goal would be funny <laughs> to be like, I'm just working, I'm working <laughs> so, so hard to get Billy to cry, but I want, <laughs> I'm dead inside, Ned. I'm dead inside. Great. That's what I wanted to know. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a shell of a woman after having migraines every single day for like a month. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just God. no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Were you gonna you go are. ahead? Were you gonna try to get me to you cry? Know where I'm going? Oh, no, yeah, go yeah. No, go I'm, I'm sort of trying to get you to cry, but I just want to oh know. Please, about I want crying. to. It'll be good. I want to know where you cry. Like, where? When do you let that stuff out? When do you okay. get to to? to be emotional about everything that you do and all these people you care for and these, you know. Well, I, it's so funny because I go, and I don't know if you're like this too, because I feel like people who cry easy are kind of like this. So I cry, I can, I cry easy. Like I cry easy in the sense of like, I can weep. Like I weep from like yeah. beauty, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, describing I don't even have children okay and I watched Moana and then I was describing Moana to my best friends and I seriously was like <laughs> like weeping crying not kind of tears like yes. weeping and they're like yes. what the hell is going on I'm like it's so beautiful <laughs> um so it's, it's funny it's like I'm either like that or I'm like dead inside and yeah. uh and like, I don't really mean that. I just mean like a little detached, right? I feel like every nurse can be yeah. a little detached. And I think so, it's like, it is a survival tool. Yes. And, and like a necessary one. And I still feel like I show up very empathetic and caring and compassionate. I can tell. But there's like, oh, not even a disconnect. It's just, it's like a shift. So, so yes, I cry. What makes me, so what I mostly find myself crying now, not out of sadness, but out of, um, yeah. out of like, gratefulness and like the beauty of life. So let me give it a really good example of, um, cause I'm definitely, I mean, maybe never say never, but I doubt I'm going to cry today. But, um, <laughs> but like the other day extra. I left a house, give me right? One more hour. <laughs> no, you're going to get me down. Just weed me down. I will Just break gonna you. <laughs> Please. A good cry never hurt anybody. <laughs> Oh, I love a good cry. You're right. You know what I do You're sometimes right. when I feel like I need to cry and I can't? This is going to not make me sound real crazy. I will scream into a pillow. Yeah. And scream and scream and scream until I finally cry. Yeah. Because, okay, okay, we're going to get real, real. We're going to get real, real, Ned. Hold on. Let's do it, please. I feel like I started... And this is a good and bad thing. And I'm all about medication. I really am all about medication. Probably three years into my sobriety, 
uh, after talking to my sponsor and like going through all this stuff, right? Shoot, I finally went to a doctor and I got on Lexapro. And it was life changing. It did not dampen my life. It like brought me to life. It was oh, yeah. like, whoa, mm. I didn't mm. realize because I had tried other things in the past, but I had been drinking. And I don't know. It just didn't seem, I didn't notice the shift. Sure. This being like three years sober, it was like, holy crap, mm. I needed this. <laughs> like, I didn't realize how bad it was until I, until it wasn't. Right. So it really brought me to life which is amazing. It's been like yeah. probably three and a half years since, but I will okay. say three and a half years in, I, I, I don't want to get off of it because it really has helped. It really has helped me. I can see a huge difference. Um, but I don't cry as much, which is fine, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's not there. It's like, it's like, I can't be as in touch or something, but it's still, yeah, right. it still is. It still is, but it's not like it was. Where I could yeah. really just yeah. I mean, you get Moana. be there. I mean, you there's know? things that yeah. the things that'll bring it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But like work. So like the other day at work, I watched this incredible. I watched this man take his last breath. I watched the family be with him, laying on his chest. You know, just saying that. You know, just the most just the most beautiful thing ever. It was mm. not sad. It was. Mm the greatest gift that I ever could have gotten that day, right. Or in life, right. To witness this and to witness the love that this family had. Mm -hmm. And I went into my car and I cried, right. Like, but like Mm -hmm. not tears of sadness, but tears of like, wow, that is what life is all about. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff or like seeing a waterfall can make me cry. And like the, what, like the other, the only day I got really, the other day I got really overwhelmed with work. It was months ago. It was because mm-hmm. I put my boundaries down. I have really strong boundaries with work until I don't. <laughs> right. And then like every once in a while, I'm like, fuck it. Like I, I, what this family. Like? So this the, uh, someone was taking the end of yeah. life medication and which, cause we can mm-hmm. do that in California. Yeah. Where are you? Are you in California? Yeah. Are you where? Are yeah, you up North? Okay. Yeah. And I'm I didn't really know. Not asking you, I'm purposely not asking you where you are because oh, I know yeah. we're not talking about, but you must be like in LA or Yeah, San I'm in LA. I actually, I don't okay. mind saying I'm in LA. Yeah, I'm in LA. Okay, great. Um, so I um, normally I wouldn't do this, but the patient who wanted the end of life medicine wanted a nurse to come see him and talk about everything. And, and I happened to be the nurse that was like available. So I was like, sure, I'll go. And we talked about it. So like I met the guy before and, and his family. Then they were like, will you be there? Can you be here when he takes it? And normally, like normally I have really strong boundaries. Even though I want to be there, I'm kind of like, that's not my job. That's not my role. I'm per diem nurse. I'm not really the person who's going to do that. But there was something where I was like, okay, I, yeah, I can't, I gotta have, I gotta like have, that different. in that, in that moment, it was like, this is the biggest thing that's got, you know, this is like, this is life. And you know, this is, I can't, I don't want to say no, you know, like I want to be there for this person. Like I can yeah. give up my boundaries for a second, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was just like, Yeah. I can do that. Mm-hmm. I can, I'll be there, you know? And like, normally they don't have a nurse even there. Like normally they right. don't need a nurse there, mm-hmm. but they were like, um, my work approved it. 
And then he was going to take it at a certain time the next day. And then, of course, he wanted to wait. And I'm not going to rush him to freaking take this thing. You know what I mean? So, um, and the family wanted me to wait <laughs> until he like died. This, right? Only I know. Listen, I'm like, I'm <laughs> out of here by five. You know, like, <laughs> going to do this or what? <laughs> yeah. So I basically just called work. I was like, listen, I can't rush this guy. You know, I'm not going to rush this guy. I'm going to, I don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know. And they're like, don't worry about it. Of course, amazing, right? They're, that's why I like my job. It's like, mm-hmm. they're like, don't worry about it. No problem. Yeah. Stay as long as he needs, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Not every hospice company would do that. I'm just telling sure. you. So this is I like, I love it. it. Yeah. And so I ended up being there probably till like seven, eight o'clock till the whole thing went down. I saw him drink mm-hmm. it. I saw him, mm-hmm. you know, all the process. I saw his family. It just was like the most amazing, profound thing ever. But it just took everything out of me. Like I had to take two days off work. Oh, yeah. Afterwards, I was like, you know, of course, crying and just mm-hmm. um, no energy in bed. Couldn't really move. Couldn't really talk because mm-hmm. it was just so much. It was just oh, so profound. And not and not really so much, it sounds like, the way you were describing earlier, like what can make you cry. Like the gratitude, the yes. like presence that it was pulling like you into the space, like how you were paying attention there, you know, like those kind of exhausting yes. things. Not like yes. it was devastatingly sad. Yes. Know? No, no. It wasn't like it was devastatingly sad. It, it, it was, yeah, it was just like, I couldn't describe it except for like, it was exhausting, but it also did make me sad though. I was like crying out of sadness. Oh, yeah. I think too, mm-hmm. because it was like, he was alive I think he was just so alive before he took this. It wasn't like he had tons of sickness, you know, like ish, but not enough, you know? And then to just watch, uh, yeah, it was just, I can't actually even describe it. It was like, it was just, wow. And there was, that's like one of the few times when it was like, wow, this is this, my job just took a lot out of me. I like, I like legit need a mental health day. I can't go to work. I can't do this, you know? Well, I just feel so much, more for you, but already just thinking about this work at the threshold, you know, mm-hmm. and what it would ask of us, the boundaries it would require, yeah. the like moments of really, you know, disconnecting a little bit because it like maybe everyone needs you to do that. Like yeah. we all can't be feeling what the thing is, you know, like yes. someone's got to be like, okay, I'm paying attention from these other places. Too, exactly. Like yes. And as the nurse medical. there in the room, mm-hmm. I'm not the one blubbering. Do you know what I mean? Right. I'm the nurse mm-hmm. there. I'm yeah. the nurse. I'm not making it about me or the sadness. Or the, I'm making it yeah. about like, it's, it's, I'm the stable, I'm the steady. Well, I just wanted to acknowledge that what you got with this, family was a moment where you didn't really, you were there, but you didn't really have to be doing all that. And so you maybe like the boundary you're describing was, was like pulled a little cause you didn't, you really aren't supposed to do anything. You're not supposed to administer anything. Like yeah. you really were just witnessing, you know, yeah. mostly. Yeah. And that that yeah. just would have like asked a lot more of you than your most all your other like experiences doing work, you know, because yeah. you you got to just like be there and maybe, yeah, open, <laughs> maybe that open was it. I don't, yeah. I couldn't really. No, I don't mean to try to. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was it was interesting, and it's funny because uh, when nurses are always like, "How do you have the like? How do you keep from?" your mental health, like, like that's what I do is, is I usually have really good boundaries so much so that like, I don't get tied in with the families. 
Like I am caring and loving when I'm there, but like, I don't go over that because I can't like, I can't and keep doing this. Right. Like I can every once in a while. Right. But then you saw what happens, right. I'm out for two days. I can't, I'm laying in bed. I can't do anything, you know, and that's okay to do every once in a while, but I can't keep doing that if I want to keep this job. So check out Hospice Nurse Julie. Thank you. Thank you, Hospice Nurse Julie. So glad to get to have you on the show and for your work and wisdom in the world, doing what you do. And if you all want to connect to more of that, just go into the show notes. And especially if you're on TikTok, you can follow Hospice Nurse Julie there with the 1.1 million other people that do. And she is also on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So connect up. Check it out. Hello, Nick Jana. Nick Jana? Nick Jana, hello. <laughs> Can you hi, hear hi. me, dude? You, fr- you froze for like 10 seconds. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We're going to keep it. <laughs> Are we caught up? Hi. Can you hear me now? Great start. Do you want me to reintroduce you? <laughs> well, I know who I am as long as you Do said you- it. No, I don't. Oh. <laughs> um. All right. F- freezing. Uh, I had a flashback to 2020. Remember, like the endless zooms of the pandemic era, and mm-hmm. just like seemingly every moment somebody was going to say something important, it just went. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of got into Key and Peel a little bit, and one of their sketches in the last season is that it's just this them trying to them each trying to talk to each other on Zoom, and it's only that, mm-hmm. just like glitches and breaks and freezes. Um, I, I guess I thought we were past that, but we're not. And we're going to keep it in, everybody. <laughs> you Nick said that I like, are, you're, like you're chiding I, the internet like a child. I guess I thought we were past that. I guess but I we guess. didn't figure it out. <laughs> How you doing, Nick? I'm good. I'm uh, tired. I just got back from Portland, drove all day mm-hmm. yesterday. I was doing these little intimate tea service shows. And um, yeah. I... Uh, yeah, it was the, this opportunity to like connect with strangers over death um, in a way that yeah. I've learned a lot from you about of like how to gather a group of people and kind of like subtly direct a conversation in a certain way or share something or, or share vulnerability with a group, not just because it's what I want to do, but because I want to show the group that that's possible or mm-hmm. or like give a template of how to open up and stuff. And so. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about you a lot over the last couple of weeks of just mm. how I've learned to navigate spaces that are partly performative. You know, I know that you come from like performance background and interest and then 
partly ceremonial and like mm-hmm. weaving those together to create some new thing that people feel really seen and welcome mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Um, but it's also like draining too, like physically can be draining of just like holding that space for a lot. You know, um, I was doing like three of these sessions a night in some cases and, um, even going really well, it, it can still be just really exhausting. I would say almost when it goes really well, it's especially mm. exhausting. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, different. Yeah. You know, it's, it's um, a great exhaustion. I mean, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm familiar with a lot of different kinds of exhaustion. This one just doesn't feel like defeat, defeat or anything. It feels mm-hmm. like right. it just kind of wrung, wrung dry, you know? Yeah. Well, a uh, quick plug for all you listeners out there who want good, good literature from a good writer about um, death and dying, like like grief and and ghosts. Um, I don't know if all those words land for you, Nick, but it mm-hmm. was it was that way for me reading the book, and I kind of knew there were elements of it when I'd heard you read excerpts before I got the book to read myself. But boy, it was really nice to be in it, and I know we haven't talked a lot about. It. I texted you right after I finished it. It took me like uh, 24 hours and I wasn't reading the whole 24 hours listeners. <laughs> I just stopped for a long time and finished it. Uh, it was quick because I wanted it all um, when I started reading it. So I mean that check the show notes. We'll put a link in there so you can get a copy for yourself, but I highly recommend it. This isn't just like, well, Nick's listening with me right now. <laughs> everybody. So I better say something nice. It's definitely worth your while. And Nick, I wish that I could have been there for the tea service and and your readings. Um, But it sounds like maybe we'll get a chance here in the San Francisco Bay area to partake. I hope so. Yeah. And by the way, Spectrum is the name of the book with a K um, and the name of the tea services too. And uh, yeah, it's just, um, again, like uh, with this, with the inspiration and support of this organization and you, like just seeing a more like service minded way of being in a performance space, you know, I have this interest as you do of like, can it be more collaborative with the audience? Can they feel more inclusive and stuff? And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. I hope to find ways of, to keep doing that. Thanks for that. And, uh, Let's talk real quick before we go. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your own relationship to hospice, if you have any. Yeah, it's interesting. The place I was staying in Portland was just a few blocks from uh, somebody's house who I used to do hospice work for uh, 21 years ago. I I, I was living in Portland after 9-11. It was really hard to find any work at all. And there was a, a flyer on a telephone pole that said, I'm not... Michael J. Fox, but I have Parkinson's and I need help. And I called the number and like met with the guy and he was a very ornery guy, but like really funny. And he ended up like pissing off everybody that ever tried to help him except for me. And I just kind of like really got along with him and hung in there. And we would, um, I just have really fond memories just walking down the street with him and, you know, like with that condition like you you freeze up at times and other times like you have a lot of like energy and just trying to navigate that and go to the video store and the and the supermarket and stuff and then just the issue that comes up of like that I needed to learn and still need to learn of like my own boundaries around that and like when that turns 
unhealthy or abusive, you know, even just verbally, you know, just in like little ways. Um, it's understandable. I know like people are suffering and in pain and then just like, where, where do you draw a line and say like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I know this is an unreasonable because everybody else who's worked for you has quit, but also like now, now is the time when I have to walk out, you know, mm-hmm. um, that was a really hard, complicated lesson to learn of, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just like I step in and I do good work and someone's eternally grateful and, and we're both happy and, you know, like right. it's, it's someone's really hurting and like all the help in the world, they're still hurting and they're still frustrated and mm. not at you necessarily, but it comes out at you, you know, uh, I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure you have all have had all of that and more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it really was the first time I had to like, think about uh, being a helper, being a healer and where's, where do I start to draw a boundary line mm-hmm. where I can be still me, you know, which I'm still learning. Cause I did these you know, tea services this week and I feel really exhausted. And I think, yeah. I think I did everything right, but still it's just, um, at what point are you over, overdoing it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, first of all, thanks for sharing that. I didn't know that. And, and what a huge deal to, to get access to being with a human being like that because of just a random post. Yeah. Um, and also a couple things coming up for me, we think about dying. I, I guess I should say I think about dying now from from all my teachers. I would say especially Stephen Jenkinson as this place, and in particular, important maybe to apply this for me to my loved ones. You know, this idea that there's other community out there that I don't live with, and and sometimes I'm able to be with because of my volunteering through hospice. Um, it's not exactly the same, you know, cause you can come and help and then maybe more easily draw a boundary with someone like that over your own father or mother, or, you know, someone, someone closely connected to you that you're already in relationship with, but really knowing, listening to you that part of, uh, I guess honoring life is by being in that stretch and being in the difficulty and that we, we are adverse to that, uh, I think, which is why um, I think we're so inclined to like shuffling off our elderly and, mm-hmm. and, and moving them into someone else's care. What I love about hospice is it gives us a chance to be supported like maybe you needed a little more of working with that guy. Um, and, and by a team, you know, like rotating nurses, social workers, you know, you name it, uh, a chaplain, whoever it is, but that these people can come in as a team and support you in holding that space, especially at home. And with my mother-in-law, that's where it was, you know, she was at home and she died there and hospice helped us like be in that and then also take a break, you know, find a boundary. Yeah. And I'm speaking from like one well, a few steps removed because I was there through those final days, but of course I was not as in it as, as my father-in-law, especially him, you know, the nights when there maybe wasn't a nurse there, Mm -hmm. um, what he went through, but knowing that that's part of how he honored her is, is like being in that and that he didn't actually have to do it 24 hours because hospice came in and helped him do that. And we need that, you know, cause like you described, boy, it's a lot especially remembering for me doing one of my volunteer um, stints with an ALS uh, patient and really seeing that this guy kind of 
aggressively owning it all and kind of just unabashedly saying and doing what he felt he deserved because he's dying. And how do you tell someone like that? No. And when do you think like, this is too much for me? I can't do this anymore. Like this is mean or mm-hmm. <laughs> unfair. Um, so I just, I, I remember that now. I haven't thought about that guy in years, but hearing you describe your experience with this guy, it feels like similar, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, I was thinking coming from music performance, I think, what is, what is the ceiling of possible success in music performance? Well, you could be a rock star. You could play to arenas. You could be like famous and get all the adulation you want. You know, what's the ceiling of success with doing hospice work? Someone you care about still dies, you know, but like you're mm-hmm. there and you make it a little bit easier, you know, like it, just to compare like uh, the sensation and the experience of it can be challenging because you're like, oh, this doesn't feel glorious. This doesn't feel like I'm getting high fives here, you know, but it's still vitally important and in some ways more so to, to the individual person. Absolutely. Um, and that I, I've, as you have like been in both worlds of, of performance type things, things that get ego gratification and then like more care type things that sometimes just get an angry look or a awkward mm-hmm. silence or something, you know? Um, and just yeah. trusting that like, this is still part of the job and it's just a different range of outcomes that are possible. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And for whatever reason I'm thinking lately with dying, there's a place where I'm sure our ego gets like lit up when I think of doing vigil visits and sitting with people that are actively dying the last hours of their life, how much I want to, I want to be this thing they need or Mm. do something. And we've talked about this before, I think, but like how cornered you are in the, like, you can't, Mm -hmm. there's nothing here for you, but to like kind of be in the letting go that's happening right in front of you. And boy, what an infinity, you know, like an ego death in itself for me to just be in that, like you said, place where there's not acknowledgement, the patient person, maybe their spirit. I've imagined like a ghost sitting like next to their dying body, just being like, Hey man, thanks for being here. Mm -hmm. You know, but we don't know that that's occurring. And, and so funny to even like imagine that. Cause I have, cause like there is still the ego of like, does this matter? Like, is this anything here? Um, but, but what does matter is, is that, that, I think in those moments I have my own like dying happening um, both because I see myself in the future, you know, and like that moment asked me to like let go more than ever. And in, in that's an honor in itself, you know, to be there for that. Yeah. The, there was this line in my book that I remember clearly now, cause I read it like five times <laughs> over the last couple of weeks um, mm-hmm. of why, why were you too cool for God? Maybe God is just someone who sits with you while you die. Um, you know, that just the humbling aspect of thinking, rethinking, like what is needed for somebody in that period or or like what, what is the, the spiritual need? It Mm. might just be someone sitting there and not with any particular talent or anything, just Mm -hmm. you look over and you see them sitting there, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. I'd sit with you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I would love that. I think okay, well, great. just keep it in mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye.